Let's open our Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 1. Last week we went through verses 1 through 16, and I shared with you how overwhelmed I am with this book. We left on verse 16 that Paul is not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew, then for the Gentile. And in verse 17, he starts and he says, For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, or might say from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. This idea of faith now is going to become a foundation that Paul sets for this book. When we think of faith, we have to remember that faith is always attached to something. Faith is not in and of itself. When you have faith, it is you have faith in something. In this case, it is faith in God. And he is telling us here that the gospel, this this good news message about who Jesus is. And the gospel is made clear in his writing to the Corinthian church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says the gospel is this, that Jesus died for our sins, was buried and rose again on the third day. That's the gospel message. This message, and in this message, the righteousness, a righteousness of God is revealed, is made known, is made clear. Righteousness is right standing. What is right? It's basically what is right. Well, what is right is made clear. It's revealed in this gospel, this message about Jesus Christ. It is a righteousness that is from faith. Now, this is important because it is not a righteousness that we earn, but it is a righteousness that is given from God because the righteous will live by faith. They won't live by their good deeds. They won't live by how much they can do. They will live by faith in God. The work of Jesus Christ, the faith of what this gospel message is. That's what we have faith in. One of the things that if you do not have faith, basically you are without hope, hopelessness. It's battles against faith. And trying to establish being good enough is very hopeless. I don't know if you guys have been there, if you beat yourself up over the things that you're not, that you're not good enough, the things that you don't do well, the things that you stumble, that you fall in. And if your hope was in, you got to get it together, otherwise, that's it. If you don't get it together, if you don't get your act cleaned up, then you will never get to be with God. You will never be right. That would be pretty hopeless. At least for me. I don't know about you. It, it would it'd be like a car that doesn't start. 
and, and you know that the car is not going to start. And, and so there's just no hope even in going to the car. You just, I'm not even going to try because I know it's not going to start. It's been broken down and the battery's dead. And what's the point of even going in and trying? I don't believe it's going to start. I have no faith that it can start. And a lot of our lives become like that. Without hope, there is no hope of moving forward. There's no hope of getting better. There's no hope of having a life that is full and that is whole. Because I just can't do it. I just don't have what it takes. I, I, I can't muster it up. I can't fake it. I can't pretend. I just am not right. Well, there's a righteousness that is revealed in the gospel. There is a righteousness that can be given to us by having faith in God. And now, it's not a matter of you being able to do it. It's a matter of God has already done it. Do you believe it? And it takes this hopelessness that can burden our lives and it sets us free and says, you know what? To get right, God is taking care of it. Believe in him. And here's what God wants to do. It is take this righteousness and make it a part of your life. He wants to change you. And so now it's no longer about you doing enough, you making the grade, you doing what you can to make it right to God. It's not about your ability. It's about God's ability in spite of your inability. And he is going to change you. He's going to do what you cannot do. And he's going to do that work in you says in Philippians 1.6 that he who has begun a good work will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I'm not going to give up on you. I will continue that work. I will change you from faith to faith, from the beginning to the end. There is a righteousness that God is going to produce in your life, the righteousness that comes by faith only in him. I had a Volkswagen. It was a 63 Volkswagen. It had a 1300cc engine, which isn't very big. Step above a go-kart, I, I guess. It, it, you know, if you're going up Kellogg Hill, you'd have to get a running start. You know, if I could get going 75 by the bottom of the hill, I could maybe make it over at 45 and then go back down. And that was kind of how it was. And it was a pretty simple engine. It was my first car. I had a cousin who had a Volkswagen and he knew how to work on cars and for some reason it wasn't starting. I forget what the problem was. We had worked on it a little bit and it just wasn't starting. And we tried to jump start it because it was a stick and it was in Pomona and we pushed that car until we were going to pass out. You ever been there where you know, you're trying to jump start the car and you push it, okay, pop the clutch, you pop it. Okay, push it. And I mean, we were just exhausted. I was just dead tired and I couldn't push it anymore. My mom was in the car, you know, she was the one popping the clutch and my cousin Joe and I were pushing it. And then my mom just says, well, did you guys pray? You know, just, 
And don't you hate it when people say things like that? <laughs> Especially when you didn't, you know? And it's like, well, and you see, for me, it's like, why should we pray? We, I, I know a little bit about how an engine works. I know there's fuel in the carburetor. I know that the, you know, it's igniting. You know, what, what's there to pray about? And I, I had a little bit of an attitude. <laughs> and so my mom said, well, well, I'm going to pray as moms do, and she says it in a way that annoys you just because she's your mom. Um, and she prayed some prayer, and Joe and I were sitting there, oh, yeah, okay, you know. And then she goes inside, and she turns the ignition, and it goes on. <laughs> and it turns over, and she gets out and goes, see, we just needed a prayer. You know. <laughs> can't help but say, I told you so, you know, just can't. Part of being a mom. See, I told you so. And you know what? There is nothing in me that had the hope of this car starting by prayer. I, why? I, I didn't even, I prayed reluctantly because, you know, you're, you look like a heathen if you don't. But it's like, yeah, go ahead, pray. I, I don't have... I don't have faith that it's going to start. I really didn't. I, I was without hope that it was going to happen. And it did. And your life and my life might be at a place where I don't see how I can change. It's impossible. The, the gas isn't getting to the carburetor. The spark's not igniting. Whatever the situation, it's just not going to happen in my life. And then faith that is beyond reason can change who you are and give you hope when you have none. Because there is a God who does not have limits, who is able to work and change and, and do the miraculous in ways that we can't imagine or think or understand because he's God. And there is a righteousness that is revealed in this good news of that God loves you and wants to change you. He wants to change you. Are you going to trust him? Well, no, I got to do this first. I got to start the car. I got to push it. I got to do I, I got to. I, 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 and God says, you got to trust me. Go ahead, turn the key. And all of a sudden you find your life is changing. You're caring about things you didn't used to care about, and you're, you're not caring about things that you used to care about that you shouldn't care about, and pretty soon he's rearranging the way you think and the way you live because he's alive and he's producing righteousness in you that comes by faith that was revealed in what Jesus did. Because if it's a matter of what you have to do, having to earn it, then you're not going to be given to it. I was sharing with uh, a brother this week. I was meeting with him at a Starbucks. We were talking. I love not having an office because my office is Starbucks. And I, I was talking to him, and we were talking back and forth. And I was sharing with him you know, the things that he was struggling with and, and trying to combat 
he was telling, I, I asked him earlier, I said, what things do you want to do? What things do you really care about? What would you like to see happen in your life? Give me a list of those things. And he, he wrote down a list of the things that he really felt important, both in his job, with his family, and with his service to God. I had him make this list. And I said, I want you to just think about those things this week. The things that you really want to see happen regarding your work, regarding your family, and regarding your spiritual life. And we came back and he said, you know what? I don't know what it is, but you know, when you start thinking about the things you really care about, the things you really want to do, you don't get drawn away by the things that you don't want. Because I really want to do those things. And we're just like that. When it's something we really want to do, Man, we're up, we've got the motivation, we'll get going. But when it's cleaning the garage, you know, it all goes out the window. It's like, I, there's nothing in me that wants to go into that garage. Don't open the door. Let's pretend it doesn't exist. But if it's something that I like doing, well, then I'll, let's do it. Let's go for it. And once we start focusing on those things, why? Because it's something I love. And it's the goodness of God that leads us to repent. It's the righteousness that is revealed because of God loving us and giving us his son that changes and makes us want to change too. There's a righteousness. Now, this is the foundation that Paul is establishing for all of this book. And what he's going to do now is talk about our condition. The, the human predicament. You know, there's this great news, the good news of the gospel, where righteousness is revealed, but first we've got to own up to where we are. You've got to start where you're at. And so we're going to start in verse 18 and talk about God's wrath against mankind. Doesn't that sound lovely? I'm just gonna, Do I have to read this? Well, yes, you do. Verse 18 through 20, it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what, they, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Paul now sets the, the tone a little bit darker. He talks about the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against all godlessness. Now, when we think of wrath, I normally think of anger. But wrath is not an emotional reaction. God is not getting angry at you, and so there's wrath. It is more of something that is established. It is something that is there already. It is something that always exists, and what happens is we walk into it. God doesn't get angry. His emotions get stirred, and now I'm mad at you. Now my wrath is really there. We walk into a place where God's wrath is already there. It's already set, and so we need to not see this as God getting mad. We have to see this as God's wrath is revealed when people in godlessness and wickedness 
suppress the truth by their wickedness. Then we see the wrath of God. And it's good to know that there is a place where God's wrath does exist. I mean, we think wrath, is, wrath of God sounds like a terrible thing, but there are a lot of situations where we believe the wrath of God should be. You think of some of the inhumanity that we've seen throughout history. War crimes. The evil that was done in Nazi Germany. Pol Pot in Cambodia. And we think, boy, the wrath of God needs to take place against some of these injustices. Well, it's not like God says, that's enough. I, I'm so mad at you now. It's these injustices reveal that God says, no, that is not acceptable. God's wrath is revealed because he will not stand for this kind of injustice. And so understanding that it's not an emotional God who, who gets mad and we can appease him by, oh, it's okay, you know, I'm going to bring you flowers or whatever so that you won't be mad at me, God, you know, <laughs> my wife. Uh, you know, it's not, I'm not going to appease God. His wrath is stationary. It does not change. It does not move. It's solid. And these people, the godless and wickedness, who suppress the truth by their wickedness, it's revealed from heaven against them. Verse 19 says, since what, they, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. It's important to see that God is the one who reveals it. The reason it's known is because God has made it known. It's not like they had to learn about it. God made it known to them. And God has made this known to everyone. And verse 20 says, The creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have clearly been seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. That men are without excuse. You know, we live in a moral universe. We don't like to think of, you know, morality as something that you can push on people, but morality is something that is there. If you live a certain way, it's going to affect your body. If you live a sexually promiscuous life, it will have results. If you live a drunken life, it will have results on your body. It will take place. And, and morality is something that we don't seem to mind in certain areas, but we do in others. We make moral choices all the time and have no problem with it. You know, if there is spinach or something that has bacteria on it, fecal matter that gets put into the you know, grocery stores, they will ban it. They will say, no, this can get people sick. People can die if they eat this. We need to stop it. It's a moral decision. Because someone's going to lose a whole lot of money, but they say it doesn't matter. It's dangerous. It's a moral decision. And, and we, we do these kinds of things with no problem. We make those kinds of decisions, moral decisions, at a snap all the time. Why? Because God has made it clearly understand. He's given us a conscience of right and wrong. We know the difference. We know what's right. We know what's wrong. We're without excuse. Why do we know? He has made it known. He's put it in our hearts so that we know the right and the wrong 
but we still choose the wrong. And so this godlessness that is there in verse 18, godlessness and wickedness. Godlessness means what we do against God and wickedness is what we do against men. We don't care about the things of God. We do things in rebellion to him and the things, the moral law that he has given. And we do things against men and the things that are dealing with one another. Remember the Ten Commandments. Four of them were our dealings with God. The other six of them were our dealing with men. Godlessness, wickedness. He's addressing these things. What we deal with and how we deal with these things. God has revealed it. Man is in violation, and so we find ourselves in this predicament that God's wrath is revealed in these situations. In verse 21, it says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. In Isaiah 1.3 it says, The ox knows his master, the donkey his own manager, manger, excuse me, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. We can be darkened because of our rejection from what God has revealed. Our lives become darkened. And what we need to re recognize is that there is a darkness that comes upon our lives when we turn away from the truth that God is revealing to us. And this is where Paul wants us to start. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 and 23. says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? If you don't understand where you really are, you're in bad shape. You're in bad shape. If you don't recognize the situation that you're in concerning your relationship with God, if you don't recognize what He desires and what He wants, then you're in bad shape. And so God has given us a conscience. He's revealed himself. The invisible qualities, they're clearly seen by the things he made, by this moral universe that we live in. He's made it known, and if we won't recognize it, then how great is that darkness? And you see, that's what Paul is establishing here, is this darkness is very great. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.21, for since... In the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those that believed. Men became dark in their own wisdom. They, they exchanged the glory that came from God and took on their own glory. Made it themselves. I'm going to be a self-made person. I don't need God I don't need his work within my hand. I'm going to abandon that. And so by abandoning God, they got down on two legs. Then they got down on all four legs. And then basically reptiles, they were on their bellies. 
they lowered themselves and it kept getting lower and lower and lower. And what Paul is saying is once you turn away from God, you start going downhill fast. And we see it in our societies. We see how depraved people can be. We see the evil that can take place with an Idi Amen or an Adolf Hitler or Stalin. There is a story of uh, after World War II when they were trying some of those who were a part of Nazi Germany that were involved with the concentration camps and running them. And they had survivors from the concentration camps testifying against people who they knew were there, who were the guards, who were running the place, who were involved with the torture and the things that were there. And when they brought in, I don't know if it was Eichmann or who it was that they put on trial, they brought this person in, one of those who were witnesses to his crimes, broke down and started weeping, just started bawling, just intensely when he saw this person come in. And afterwards they asked him, what, just seeing him, did it make you sad? Was it that seeing him again that made you weep so much? And he said that when he saw him, what made him cry is he knew how evil he could be. When he saw that person, he saw the potential that was in himself. And it was overpowering and it brought him to tears. He saw the potential, the depths of his own wickedness. And it was too much for him to handle. Exchanging the glory for God and taking that on themselves, this is what they became, like animals. And you see, that's our starting point. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Those who recognize the potential of depravity, our inability to, to get there, our hopelessness without faith in the gospel. That's where we start. That's where it begins. That's, that's where Paul is bringing us to, to show us that all mankind is in a pit and he can't get out without help. And we need to realize we're, we're all in that pit, that this is our potential, this is our weakness, this is where we are at that the darkness is great unless we recognize it. And he goes on in verse 24, going from who they worship, instead of God, they worship things that they made with their own hands, you know, like mortal men, birds, animals, and reptiles. And, you know, I know we think of, well, we don't worship those things, but then I think of, well, how many worship the yeah, Chicago Cubs or, you know, the... Detroit lions. I mean, we do have animals that we kind of worship. And, you know, I don't know what a Laker is, but I know that Super Bowl Sunday, that the amount of spousal abuse increases by 40% on Super Bowl Sunday. Something's wrong. We, we do have our forms of idolatry, and we worship the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. 
And when our eyes get off of God and get on ourselves or on things or on circumstances, it's bad news. And so, you know, we're, we're not far from this. And it goes on in verse 24, Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexually Im sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Now, he goes here in these verses and talks about man's perversion, sexual perversion, and, and he talks about the degradation of man who was to be created in the image of God. If a man doesn't worship the creator, inevitably he serves the creature. If he doesn't recognize his divine origin, he becomes natural. He becomes an animal in his conduct. And that's what he's talking about. And he's talking about the drives that he would have. He just gives into them. Because if God has deprived his glory, then men also are deprived of theirs. If God is deprived from the glory that he is the one who created us, then man becomes deprived. And he becomes just natural, just an animal. He talks about homosexuality here and, and he presents it in this f form saying that a man is so driven by his passions that he doesn't care. The passions are overpowering him. It's what consumes him. It, it's all that he is. I know that when I, I've talked to people who are living a homosexual life, I find it sad that the one thing that they do to identify who they are is to say, I'm gay. And I've talked with them and they said, well, you know, I'm gay. What do you think of that? And, and I think, why are you defining yourself by your sexuality? Are you an artist? Do you write? Are you a good cook? Can you sing? Do you have other qualities about you that make you who you are, things that are what you are, but yet you choose to define yourself by this? And you see, it, it's the same thing. What they're doing is saying, this is who I am. It's all about this passion. And that becomes their defining moment. So all those other things aren't relevant. Those other things of who you are all come under the shadow of this one thing, this one passion that you have. And it's sad. It's sad that they define themselves by this one thing when they are so much more. But you see, they've given up all the other things that they were created to be and identifying themselves with the fact that I'm homosexual. And so now this becomes their focus. This becomes the issue. It becomes the thing that drives their life, becomes the passion of their life. And they're giving up so much. 
They're giving up so much. And, you know, people often say, well, you know, is homosexuality a sin? Well, yeah, it's obviously here. Is it, you know, are people going to go to hell because they're homosexuals? Well, they're going to go to hell for more than that. It's, it's, that's not the one thing. Th these are all going to be basically products of our depravity. In other words, these are the symptoms, but the sickness is something else. But here he definitely focuses on this one, and I just thought it was interesting that homosexuality is brought out here, this, this lust, the sexual perversion, and especially right now in our society, homosexuality has become such an issue. And you think about it, why is that how people want to define themselves? And it's tragic, it really is. And so here he talks about the sexual perversions from verse 24 to 28. And then in 28 to 32, he talks about this antisocial perversion, if you will, this antisocial way of living. And these things are all connected. You see, we're, we're following the path that happens when you don't have hope in God, when you don't trust God, when God is not a part of your reasoning and changing your life, then this is the natural progression of man. And he just follows this line, and so we see that first there's this, you know, depraved in how you think, your mind is darkened, you give up, you know, who you were created to be in the image of and start taking on that of, you know, basically an animal, and then you give into the sexual perversion. In verse 28 he says, furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind. That's a scary thing, and he's going to mention that a few times. And it's like, what's more than all these things I've already mentioned, because they didn't want to think about God, because they didn't want to retain the knowledge of God, they, they basically said, if I have to think about this God, this moral fiber of the universe, it's going to cause turmoil to my being, so I don't want to think about it. Then God says, okay, you have it your way then. I'll give you up to those things. I'll let you have it your way. You, you go ahead and live to your own passions. You go ahead and do the things that you want and see what happens. And again, that's what we find in our world today. We find people that have, have given up. who they were created to be, and so God says, okay, I'll let you. I'll let you continue in what you were doing, the things that you want to do. I'll let you continue in that way. God gave them over to depraved minds. He said, have it your way. To do what ought not to be done, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, Deceit and malice, they are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil, they disobey their parents, they are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree, they, though, they that, they, excuse me, decree that those who do such things deserve death they not only continue to do these very things, 
but also approve of those who practice them. He gives a whole list here of things, and I want to kind of talk about them to, to, to bring some light on what Paul is saying and, and how it encompasses so much. A lot of times we will take the things that are in Scripture and we can point to the ones that are worse than us. You know, it's easy to talk about murderers, but what about gossips? Because that's in the list. God gave them over and this is what they do. This, this is who they become. As God gives them over to their depraved minds, then these are the things that they, they become. And first we're going to see verse 29, that they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. He's talking now about injustices to the well-being or property of others. He's talking about offenses to one another. The first one he mentions is wickedness, or it might say all unrighteousness in the King James. And that was another thing is, depending on what translation you have, some of these words kind of go over to, well, was, he said wickedness, but then he said something else here. And so I want to make them clear what they are or what the meaning is. Wickedness or all unrighteousness, this has to do with all the vices that have to follow. This wickedness he's talking about is one evil or wickedness in the King James, which is active mischief, planning harm. And, and I think we can all picture what that means. And so they don't want to retain God. God gave them over to these depraved minds to do evil, active mischief, wanting harm. For people. It's amazing when you watch the news. You know, it, the news is depressing. All they do is talk about the bad news. And they talk about all the evil things that you, people have done. And you see someone who goes into, you know, a convenience store and robs it and then shoots the person. They didn't have to. They got the money. They've got your picture on the camera anyway. But they shot him. It's active. I'm going to do this anyway. See, and that's evil. Greed or, or covetousness is aggressive self-assertion. Trying to assert yourself, being greedy of something. Wanting for yourself to the point where it takes from others. Do you know we have enough food to feed the whole planet? We have enough food to feed everyone on this planet. But because of governments, because of power, we just don't. Greed. Depravity or maliciousness. Inward, vicious disposition. Just having a disposition about you inward that's just vicious, mean depraved, wanting harm, wanting to hurt someone. Why? Just because I want to. It's just who you are inside. And you see, these things are all dealing with our attitudes and our conduct with each other and the things that we have with each other. He goes on and he talks about injustices and harming just our neighbor when he says they're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. 
Envy is usually connected to murder. Envy leads to murder, like Cain and Abel. When you envy something, I want what you have, so I'm going to kill you to get it. Because murder, no one murders usually just to murder. They usually murder because of a reason. Whether it's envy, whether it's jealousy, whether it's anger, it's done by some kind of other wickedness. But envy is something that leads up to that. It, it Usually it's something that carries you on to some place that you shouldn't go. When you envy somebody, it's taking you the wrong direction. Murder speaks for itself, killing people. You know, murder is murder. Strife, quarreling or rivalry. Deceit is to make someone life miserable. I thought that was an interesting idea. Deceit is to make someone's life miserable. You're going to be deceitful, so you're going to basically make that person's life miserable because you're deceiving them. You're setting kind of a trap for them by being deceptive. It's causing misery to someone else. And then he talks about malice, which is evil-mindedness, and that's self-centered mind, a proudful mind. Having malice is just that being so proud that it produces spite, caring more about yourself than others, and so it affects others because you don't care about them. He then goes on and talks about the proud-centered mind where he mentions then gossip. Gossips are whisperers. You know, whispers. That's the idea of gossips or whispers. And the idea of that is to, poison, to pour poison into a listening ear. Now, all these other things, I mean, murder and malice and deceit, but now gossip? You know, and you know, that's not so bad, is it? Yeah, it is. It's pouring poison into a listening ear. Slanderers are backbiting to blacken someone's reputation publicly. And, and all these things, you have to ask, why? Why do you gossip? Why do you slander? Why do you want to hurt someone? Why would you want to do any of these things? What is the reason? The reason is our condition, our human condition. God-haters or haters of God, same thing. And that's basically those who don't want a moral justice to stand in the way of their wickedness. God-haters is they don't want a moral law to be upon them. So I hate that. Haters of God. Insolent means violent, and that's pride and cruelty, arrogant or proud, trample others underfoot to be better than them, boastful, claim to have an advantage that they don't really possess. Don't you hate people who are boastful? People who always talk about themselves? You're in a conversation, and it's always going to come out about them. You know, you start saying, well, you know, I... I went fishing one day and I caught this catfish. It was about this. Oh, that's all. Well, I caught a catfish. We needed to get the trailer here, you know, to get. And they just start boasting. And it's like, oh, gosh. And, and it's, you know, trying to make themselves big, trying to make themselves important. And, and again, it's always easy to see in others and hard to recognize in ourselves. And lastly, he talks about destructive, the destruction of natural affections 
when he says that they, verse 31, they are senseless, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Those things are, are just having to do with the core of who they are. The core of all those things that make them human beings, basically. And we need to be aware of just these things. In inventors, I, mean, I skipped one, excuse me. They invent, I'm having a hard time for reading for some reason. It says, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful, they invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents, can't miss that one. And they are senseless, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Okay, Inventing ways of doing evil. They think of how to do evil. Um, it's just a part of what they do. And, and that's usually produced from the fact that they've been disobedient to their parents. These things are connected to one another. It's not just, well, you disobey your parents and you're part of that. It's you know, part of that evil nature that produces that disobedience in you. Um, the idea of being senseless is undiscerning, refusing to listen to counsel, faithless, untrustworthy, you can't trust them, heartless, they're unloving, and the ideas of a mother who would kill her children or a father who would abandon his family. That's kind of what's the attitude of heartless. It's your natural tendency is not there. Ruthless, unforgiving, unmerciful, without pity, no mercy. Now, as you read all these things, they pretty much describe our society today. I mean, this is a pretty depressing list. You read all these things and it's like, gee, glad I went to Bible study today. You know, I mean, this is, this is bad news. And this is so much what we see in our society. I mean, we see people that are slanderers, God-haters, insolent, disobedient to their parents, senseless, faithless, heartless. How many more, how much more is it prevalent now, women, you know, abandoning their children, not even to talk about abortion, and how many fathers abandon their families? It's epidemic. It's epidemic. This is the sign of a depraved human race. This is where we find ourselves. This is the pit that mankind is in. And what Paul is going to proceed to do is show us how do you get out of this pit. And again, we've already set the foundation. It's by faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And every one of these things that we've mentioned here, whether it's murder, whether it's gossip, whether it's being evil, or whether it's being heartless. There is hope for this condition. And that's why Paul is being so demonstrative in presenting this. Is he's wanting us to know where we're at and where God is going to rescue you. Because it's not just that things are really bad, everyone. You bummed? Huh? Yeah. He's saying, this is where man finds himself. This is where God needs to rescue us. This is where we can be saved. This is where we can be set free wherever we are in this list. And this list is a natural progression from sin in verse 21, and it's, then it's just ingratitude, the idolatry, and then the moral degradation. It, it, it begins with our turning our backs on God, and we just go downhill from there.
And so Paul is now setting the stage saying, this is where the human race is. And I want to tell you guys the good news. And, like, and the idea is, hopefully by now, we're saying, please, give me some good news. So next week, we're going to start turning and looking towards, well, it, it's going to take a while before we get some real good news. But... <laughs> He started off with the human condition, letting us know where we find ourselves. And the good news is God is going to get us out. God is going to get us out of our condition, out of the situation. As Paul is writing this list of things, remember that he is writing them in the city of Corinth. That was as polluted a city as you can imagine. Wherever is the worst place you can think of, yeah, Corinth probably had that. Uh, you know, you think of some of the you know, slave trade that goes on, yeah, Corinth probably had that going on. Prostitution was a way of worship. Yeah, a lot of just bad stuff taking place. And that's where he's writing this letter to the Roman church. In the middle of all this, where he set up a church. I love that. You know, this, this place is pretty bad. You know what it needs? It needs light. That would be us. People who were once these things, who have now been changed by faith in the Son of God, are able to change a society in this depravity. Do you believe that? Do you have faith that we could change our society? No, it's too much. It's, it's gone, you know. I mean, it's just too depraved. Well, we're here for a reason. Yeah, some are going to still choose to live that way. We can't force people to make a decision. But we can present the light. We can present the truth to them. We can open up and talk to them. I had the privilege of uh, going to the hospital today. Many of you know uh, Lori Kibbe's grandfather is in the hospital. He had a heart attack, and he suffers from a lot of lung problems and things. And I, I went there, and Lori was there at the cafeteria. I told her I was going to come by, and she was so scared. You know, this guy, he's, you know, he's... He's just not nice sometimes. He might yell at you. He might. She was so worried about how he was going to react. You know, she was making me scared. to go in there. You know, I thought I was going to go in there. He's going to throw something at me. I went in there and started talking with him, and he, he talked for like thirty minutes. He just started talking to me, and I was asking him questions, and he'd go on talking. And as we were talking about just, you know, where he's at in the hospital, having a lot of time to think. And I was telling him, you know, I really want you to be able to think about God at these times. And then he started telling me about his wife who died five years ago. And, and he started breaking down. His chin started quivering and he said, you know, it was July 24th at 11 o'clock. It was in this hospital. And I, was, I wasn't able to get here. I was at home on the phone when they told me that she had died. He broke down and, you know, here I was thinking I was going to come into this place where this guy was going to be so hostile towards me and 
here he's opening up and telling me about when his wife died and he's breaking down crying. And we need to not minimize what God can do in anyone's life. And I, I hopefully I'm going to get to share with him some more. I'm going to hopefully be able to see him again before he goes home. But in this condition that the world is in, God wants to use you and myself as light to bring redemption, to bring hope that he can change us. And it doesn't matter where we are. It doesn't matter how old we are. It doesn't matter if we fit anywhere in this list. There is a righteousness that is revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ that can shine light on any of these things that we've talked about tonight. Do you believe it? Do you have faith? Because that's what it's about, having faith. Let's pray. Father, I do ask that you would give us faith and eyes to see. Lord, this is kind of a laborious list of things that um, you mention here, and it, it can be pretty depressing, but it is exciting to see that you give us hope beyond this, that you are at work, Lord, revealing yourself to us. And Father, I pray you continue to reveal yourself. There are people who fall into these categories, people that we know who might be uh, haters and, and who might be gossips or wicked, evil. Father, there are people, this list is by no means exhaustive, even though it's exhausting, Lord. It's there are people we know in these situations, and maybe we even find ourselves in some of these situations if we're truthful. But God, you can reach us in these places. Lord, there is good news that is revealed in your Son, a righteousness that we can obtain even if we find ourselves in these places. May we not limit your work in us, and may we not limit your work in others as well. Father, I do pray that you would continue to work in our heart. I do lift up uh, Dallas, Lori's dad to you, Lord, and pray that even tonight, Lord, the things that we shared, and I know Lori's been sharing with him, that you would touch his heart, that you would change his heart, that you would plant that seed, Father, that would change who he is. Father, that there would be a righteousness revealed to him. And God, I pray you would do that with those in our family, our friends, those we work with, those who we might have contention with, Lord. Might we be an example of what faith can do in the life of someone yielded to you. We do pray and ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. <laughs>